13 and 3 here, enjoying our second season with our guest, former Eau Claire Blue Gold and NHL player and current Arizona State University assistant coach, coach Alex Hicks. This episode is sponsored by Market and Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, which has been committed to the healthcare needs of patients in Western Wisconsin since 1954. Mogi. Alex, we can't thank you enough for meeting us here at Amsoil Arena, where uh, the Arizona Sun Devils are going to open against the uh, Duluth Bulldogs. Pleasure to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm, I've been waiting for this for about a month now, I guess, uh, since we talked. So I'm excited to talk a little hockey with you guys, talk a little Claire, uh, blue gold hockey, and uh, it's it's good to be here with you. Cool, thank you. Well, it's kind of fun to be wearing uh, your uh, gold and blue jersey here and uh, kind of reminiscent of the old days, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let, let's go back to your roots. Um, born in Calgary, Alberta, started playing uh, hockey there. You know, who were your idols back in the day? Well, 100%, it was Wayne Gretzky. Um, even though I was from Calgary, uh, the, the Oilers moved uh, from the WHA to the NHL, I think in 1979 or 80, and Calgary didn't have a team, and that's when Gretzky was kind of like the newest and latest and greatest player coming up, and uh, my dad took me to a game. My brother had a tournament in Edmonton, so I went as a little brother, and he took me to an actual Oiler game, and they played the Flyers, and I fell in love with the team and, and, and Gretzky and never really turned back from there. So um, I always thought he was the best player, and, and I, I loved – being able to watch somebody throughout the years that was supposed to be the best and had all the hype to be the best and then ultimately became the best. So I think that's uh, a, a pretty interesting thing to watch him go through that. I remember there was a lot of pressure on him. And um, even when they didn't win the Stanley Cup in the first couple of years he was there, I remember the pressure of like, when's he going to win? And he wins the scoring titles, but he doesn't win the Stanley Cup. And I read his book and all that stuff. So I, I loved him. So, you know, he was my idol. Um, I also really looked up to like Mark Messi and a few of the other guys, but I looked up to my father as well. He played in the NHL and um, kind of taught me a lot of a lot of ins and outs of the game and and how to survive and how to prepare yourself mentally. So those two are probably the the top two guys. Obviously, great role model with your father. So did you have a a guy that you patterned your game after as a as a young player? Well, I I, w I was never a great skater and never really big and fast. So I you know I always wanted to kind of be like Gretzky, like everybody did. Um, so I I became a pass first kind of a player, and I think. You know, in my, in my career, I always had probably twice as many assists as, as goals. Um, he would have been a guy that I would have wanted to be like. Obviously, nobody can be that good. But I, I think I took a lot from his game as opposed to just seeing the game and slowing the game down and using your teammates to, to find a way to score a goal as opposed to trying to be a one-on-one -on -one player. You know, you mentioned your father, a former NHL player, um, did he force the game of hockey on you, or was that a choice of your, by yourself? And how old were you when you started? Um, well, we lived in Phoenix growing up till I was uh, eight years old, so I we hadn't really been on skates at all. So um, I don't remember how I got into it, into hockey. I don't remember him ever forcing me. I remember him talking about it, saying, like, I would prefer you not to play kind of thing because not have to deal with the pressure of having a father who played at, at the highest level. Um but when we moved back, and, and my brother and I, all all the neighborhood kids were playing hockey. And in that winter, the first winter back, there was ice at every corner, an outdoor rink. So it was kind of thrown on you that way. And we just kind of blended in with our friends and started playing. And I fell in love with it right away. You must have taken to the ice pretty quickly then if you were, you know, beyond eight years of age when you finally hit the ice. Yeah, you know, so most of the kids started up there around, you know, between four and five, probably oh, yeah. getting learning how to skate. Uh, I didn't make the top team. I remember that. And my brother didn't make, for his age, didn't make the top team right away. So it was a little bit of a struggle and a little bit of a learning curve. But we, we had good tutelage from our father, and he helped us along the way, and he started coaching us. And so we caught up pretty quick. So eventually you played with the Al in the Alberta Junior Hockey League with the Calgary Spurs, and you had a pretty good year. 37 goals, 58 assists, 95 points with 185 penalty minutes. So after that season, were any D1 programs looking at you or any NHL teams looking at you in terms of being drafted? No, no, there wasn't. Um, I, I had no 
offers or letters or anything from a Division One program, we reached out to a few of the lower-end ones. Um, never really got a response back. Now I'm talking with my brother and I. Um, so we just made the decision. I, I think Mark had used up his eligibility to play junior, and I was a real late bloomer, so I never never had the ch- opportunity to play junior before I was out of high school. So I was small and very small for, for, for my age. And when he decided to go to Eau Claire, I had the option to maybe play two more years of junior still, but I liked playing with him. We knew a few people going there, going to Eau Claire and um, it felt like the right thing to do at the time. I probably needed him to be honest. I, you know, I was his younger brother and he took care of me a lot on and off the ice. So when he went, I was like, I want to go with you. And it turned out to be a great, great experience and a great decision. You know, let's talk about that for a second. Your your brother Mark, uh, older brother, you know, growing up in a household of two boys. Uh, was there a couple of uh, rivalries within the house ranks? You know, of of you know who was the better player, who was the better athlete, that sort of thing. <laughs> who got the last cookie? Yeah, yeah, you know. Well, he was always much bigger. He he matured at a normal rate, and I matured at a at a real slow rate. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. Like when I was 13, 14 years old, I was like less than five feet tall and, and 80 pounds. So, and he was five foot nine, five foot 10, like a normal 14, 15 year old and 150 pounds. So the rivalry was not, um, what it ended up being when we got into college, uh, he he took care of me. He was a great older brother, so he he took care of me. And and what I was missing in size and stature, he backed me up when I needed it on the ice. We played together, and uh, so he was. It, it was a great experience to to grow up with him. We never really became equals until probably our freshman year of college. Um, I grew a little bit. I was probably close to six feet my freshman year. Still very slight. And there was a time around Christmas where I could feel myself getting confident and becoming a, maybe a better player than him. Uh, and I never looked back. But growing up, to answer your question, he was always considered a way better player than I was and um, a better athlete just because he was bigger and stronger. So the rivalry was always, he's the better one. And honestly, when I came to Eau Claire, uh I was part of the package deals. They wanted him, and I was kind of like the throw-in younger brother. <laughs> wow. Not a bad throw-in, Alex. Yeah, yeah. So it, it worked out good. So uh, of all places to land, you land in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. What was the connection? Who knew who, and, and how did you get there? And well, you chose to stay. Yeah, well, my brother um, played with Mark Beischel, in, um, who was in a, a blue goal for four years. He was the captain when I was there, one of the captains. And he played with him in for the Calgary Spurs in the Alberta Junior League. And I think they played three years together. And Mark had gone the year before. Mark Beischel had gone the year before to Eau Claire. And then when he came back at Easter, they, he watched us play. And he told my brother, like, you should come. If you have nothing else going on, you should come. you get got a great education. It's a great town. You'll love it. Uh, good teammates. Coach is great. And so my brother decided at that point, yeah, I'll go play with Mark Beischel. And then I kind of got thrown in as the, as the, the, you know, the, I guess just the throw in. <laughs> so who negotiated that deal? Was that your dad that negotiated that? Or was that the little brother that tagged along and said, Hey, you want my big brother. You take me too. You know, I don't remember the details of it. I, I think it was probably my dad. He was pretty hands-on and not that there was, you're not talking scholarship money or anything like that, but my dad always believed that there was something there for me. Like they were, he believed more than anybody that I could play the game at a high level. And he, he, he always told me that. And he said, you're going to grow. You're going to get bigger. You're going to get stronger. You're smart. You understand how to play. And he probably just realized that was the, the best opportunity for me at the time. Just go and, and have your brother with you and, and play at maybe a lower level than division one, uh, and just excel and, and we'll see where it takes you. And it worked out. How insightful of your dad. I mean, um, taking a look at where you were physically and with your strength wise and your size, your stature, he must have seen some of those intangibles with your hockey IQ and just your, your hockey sense. So he knew that once you did fill into that body and grow, that you were going to be the full package. And 
by golly, if, if it didn't come true. Yeah, right. Uh, the one thing about being small when you're young is you learn how to play with your head up. You learn to play um, as fast as possible. You learn to use your teammates. You learn to move the puck. You need to. You, you learn to give the puck up and, and learn to get it back. Whereas if you're bigger and stronger than everybody, you just outskate everybody. You you one on one everybody. You protect. You protect the the puck. It, it, it's easy for those guys, but. Those guys, a lot, a lot of the guys that are, that are big or man-childs, as I call them when they're younger, everybody kind of catches up to them. For me, when I got as big and strong as everybody, I could play the game like a small man, and now I could fight guys off. I could win battles in the corner. I, I, could, um, I could go one-on-one, but I still had all the instincts of a small player that needed to give the puck up and needed to get it back. So it all came together uh, my first year in college. When you were doing that, when you were growing and getting bigger and stronger, were there any aspects of the game that you concentrated on to help develop so that you, when you became the player you were, you excelled in those areas? That's, that's a good question. I don't remember ever really trying to, you know, be better at any part of my game. I just loved to play and I, I think I had a pretty good talent of seeing the ice and, 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 being a good uh, good player to make players around me better, I could get them the puck. Um, but a, a true story, like a funny story, is my first year pro, I literally could not shoot a puck. Like I, I could a little bit, but not not at a pro level. And the coach used to try to help me uh, in in Toledo, Chris McSorley, and he really worked with me. But the reason was, I told him, I said I played four years of college and. All my goals were like beating the defenseman one on one and going in and, and on a breakaway or a two on one and with a backdoor tap in. I never really was a guy that was shooting and beating the goalie from the top of the circles or, or overwhelming them with a shot because I never needed it. And when I was younger, I never played triple A hockey. So I was never at the highest level. I was always dominating at a lower level where I could go around everybody and score. I was never fighting somebody off and needing to beat the goalie with a hard shot. So when I got to pro, I needed to work on that specifically because I had never needed a shot for the first 12 years of my career. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And it certainly developed, you know, but e- even despite that, what you call a setback without a shot, you dominated um, the collegiate level, D3 collegiate level with points. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you're still the leading scorer in, in Eau Claire Blue Gold history. You know, so what was the talent then? If you didn't have this so-called shot, what was your talent then on the ice for four years that you're putting up all these points? Well, I had good line mates. My brother was a really good player, and Mike Lintner was a great player too. So, um, and I like to distribute the puck, so I didn't need to shoot so much. And those guys could score. I think if you look at our statistics, I think one of them or both of them usually would have more goals than me in a particular season, whether it was Mike one year and my brother the next year, or vice versa. Uh, so I was very fortunate to play with those guys for four years. How many times do you hear college players being on the same line for four years? Yeah. So th- they were fantastic. Um, but I, I just think when I got to college, I, I finally was able to get a little bit stronger and, and be able to play against men. But I was so used to being so weak and so small and slower that it became easy for me at that level. Wow, that's amazing. So here we are, we're at a D3 school, um, not really known for sending guys into the pro levels, but uh, lo and behold, you, you end up playing uh, quite, a long, quite a long professional career. When did you start hearing from uh, pro teams about uh, maybe having a tryout? Um, well, I, I wanted to get my degree and, and spend four years at university there. I did after my sophomore year. I had an off, offer to go to transfer to Denver University. Wow. And um, go from D three to D one after your yeah. sophomore. That's yeah, because I had a really good sophomore year. Frank Serratori was the new coach at Denver, and uh, they offered me to go there. And they actually offered my brother to come with me. And this time he was the throw in. Oh, he was the throw in. <laughs> Sorry about um, that, Mark. <laughs> uh, but it, it, for whatever reason that we we didn't go, they, they our grades or our, our classes wouldn't transfer all of them. And I was already in the business school. We loved it at Eau Claire. Uh, it was a hard decision, but we ended up staying. And then, so I just finished my, my two years there. We had a great time and, uh, 
then when my career or when my college career ended, my dad knew a few people and he just got connected and got me a tryout with the Washington Capitals. And I went there. Obviously, I was a little naive thinking I'm, I'm, I wasn't going to make Washington, but I thought I'd, you know, jump right into the American League. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, there's contracts, 50 contracts that they give out and I was going to have to go to the East Coast League. So there's a lot of East Coast League teams that started calling me and I ended up going to Toledo. Wow. You know, looking back at college, uh, Coach uh, Ian Perrin was your coach back then. Did he help facilitate it all, pushing you onward Was as far as, like, was he aware of the call from Denver and, and other NHL teams, uh, or where was his stance of you, having you on the team? Well, I hadn't met him, Ian, before the, the, the Denver stuff was going down because Troy Ward left that year, and Troy was wanted to bring me with him. And so I didn't – so Ian had nothing to do with the, with the Denver stuff. And then when, when I went back to Eau Claire, I wasn't thinking going to the NHL the next year or the year after. I was just thinking play college and finish this career off and enjoy it and have a good time. I wasn't thinking every day I'm going to go make it to the NHL. It was always in the back of my head. I just wanted to get through college. And then when I finally got through college and, and left Eau Claire and went back to Calgary – that's when my dad's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to, do you want to give this a shot? And I'm like, yes. So he's like, well, okay, you need to stay with me and live with me and your mom and take care of your body and get strong and, and, and prepare yourself for the next level. So Ian uh, was a great coach for me in college, but it wasn't like we discussed and sat down and he was making calls on my behalf to where my career was going to go. So you ended up playing in the ECHL, you played in the AHL, and then you finally got your chance with the NHL with the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Was this a dream come true for you? I, I think so. You know, it, it, it was surreal. It was such a long path, and fighting it out and slugging it out in, in the East Coast League. Like, so when I finally got to the NHL, it was. I knew it was going to happen. I could feel it. It wasn't like it just one day I got a call. Like it just, I was slowly progressing at every level. And by Christmas, I was always like, I can get out of this league. I'm better than most of the players, or I feel I can jump to the next level, which was the American League or the International League. So I knew it was going to happen. So when I got there, it wasn't a shock. I wasn't surprised. It was just a lot of work to get there. And the the one crazy thing is, is I was... I was just a skill guy. I was just a skill player in college. Never fought, never really been in a fight, maybe with a teammate here or there um, in practice. And I was just a scorer and, and, and a guy that put up points. But when I went to the East Coast League, I, Chris McSorley was my coach there and Marty's older brother. And he's like, he saw something in me and he took me under his wing and he said, he goes, you could get 100 points in this league, the East Coast League. He goes, but there's, there's 20 guys that get 100 points in this league every year, and they don't move on. He goes, so do you want to get 100 points and be one of the top scorers and stay in this league, or do you want to get a good solid 75 or 80 points and 200 minutes in penalties and get brought up? And I'm like, that's what I want to do. That was a no-brainer, huh? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I had to learn how to fight. And I got beat up a lot. But I, would, I learned to fight, you know, and protect myself. And I got stronger. And there was games where I was fighting guys that I shouldn't have been fighting. And, um, but I wanted it, right? And I had it in me. And there was a point, I think, my second year in the East Coast League, I was, you know, maybe 25 games into the season. I was leading the league in penalty minutes and in points. <laughs> And it, it, but it, I owe it all to him because he understood it. He and he he broke it down to as simple as this. He goes, "It's a fight a week. We play twenty five weeks. That's twenty five fights." He goes, twenty five fights, you know, where you can hang on and and you know you you show up a little bit, but you get in twenty five fights in a year, you're going to be getting two hundred minutes, and plus you're going to be on the power play and you're going to get your points. That's going to be enticing for these you know higher level general managers to come watch you play and he he was totally right and you got to remember this is the 90s right like there's no fighting really anymore 
in the NHL. But back then, it was, the, that league was full of pugilists, you know, all, all the way from the East Coast to the American League, the International League. So there was a chance to fight all the time. But he broke it down. He's like, it's one fight a week. Get in a fight, one fight a week, and play hockey, and you'll get out of here. And he, he was correct. We're going to give a quick shout-out to a couple of our sponsors. Northwoods Therapy takes pride in being your choice for physical therapy in the Chippewa Valley since 1981. Northwoods Physical Therapy is a clinic where you can receive the care you deserve and are treated like family. And Valley Sports Academy is a brand-new 116,000-square-foot state-of-the-art sports training facility located in the Chippewa Valley featuring hockey, soccer, baseball, softball, and new-to-the-area lacrosse. They are devoted to helping athletes reach their next level, utilizing tools like their skating treadmill, rapid shot, rapid hands, synthetic ice, shooting lanes, and 100% real ice training rink. You know, go ahead, Mo. So I was just wondering, so your dad was a big influence on you. Did he have anything to say about the, the increased amount of physical play for you, or did he understand that Chris was absolutely correct on the assessment of what you needed to do? Yeah, no, my dad was, he understood what, what Chris was doing. And he always said, like, and he was a grinder when he played in the NHL. He was really good in the American League. And in, 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 I think he led the American League in scoring one year. He was, he was the best player in all of British Columbia growing up. So, and he was owned by the Chicago Blackhawks at 14. So he was a good player. So he, he, he knew what he was doing. And there was only six teams back there when he played. So it was, it was difficult. Uh, but he, he said, you, you need to do things that other players don't want to do. And that was the best advice he ever gave me. You don't want to go out and fight. I never wanted to go out and fight. Nobody wants to go fight. But nobody, if my teammates didn't want to do it, and, and, but somebody needed to in a moment, I would talk myself into doing it. And spur of the moment, things would happen, and you, you would get involved, and you just showed up. You just showed up for it. You know, I, there were, I lost way more fights than I won, and I tied 10 times more than I lost or won. It just, you just kind of hung on and, go and showed up, right? And that's all you needed to do. So he was great. Um, he, he knew, he knew what it took, what it took to get, to get to the next level. And he said, if you, you just work harder than everybody, be the hardest worker, keep your mouth shut and do the dirty jobs that nobody wants to do and you'll be all right. Did you ever get a, a tough shot to the head or to the eye or to the jaw? Anything bad? Well, I can't remember people's names to this day. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I took a lot of, lot of shots to the head. Shots, I, yeah. I was knocked out, you know, a lot of concussions. You know, they didn't really diagnose them back then. But, you know, if you're playing three games and three nights and maybe getting in a fight or two and taking a couple hard hits, there's some damage done for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, you're a rare hockey player in that you started in the East Coast and ended up in the NHL. You know, I don't know what the statistics are on something like that, but that's got to be rare. Do you have any idea how how often that actually happens where you start that low and make it up that high? Well, I think now it happens more frequently because um, the NHL team will put these kids on a three-way contract and they'll like they'll be, okay, you don't make the flyers, we'll send you down to here and then we'll, we'll put you down in the East Coast League and then they, they, they'll get 10, 12 games in the coast and then finish the season in the American League and then go back to the American League the next year and then make it to the NHL. So that happens quite a bit now. Back when I was playing, there was I don't think there was a three-way contract. So you were either on an ECHL contract or you were an American League guy that got sent down. It probably happened a few times back then. Um, so I don't have an, an actual number for it, but I, I just know it's a little bit more um, common now. But the thing with me was... I played two full years in that, in that league. I wasn't just down for two weeks and getting 10, 12 games to get conditioned. I was down there for two full years and then went and played a full year in the international league before I went up. So three full years in the minors. You paid your dues. Yeah. Wow. Looking back at all those times you had to drop knuckles with somebody, you know, and you said it, and I agree that it hasn't happened as often now in the leagues, but do you think that there is a spot? In the sport for little knuckle dragging, I, I think it's it's missed. Um, you know, obviously the, with with the media and with, with concussions and all that, like that's always like the the big word on the street. So let's get fighting out. But my opinion is, if there's fighting involved, 
then it really pleases the players police themselves. Like I coach college now and, and these kids run around all over the place and hit as hard as they want, as much as they want. They run their mouths as much as they want and there's zero accountability and which is, which is fine. Right. Um, but if there was accountability, then people are going to wonder, okay, should I hit that guy? Should I hit him that hard? Should I run, run my mouth a little bit? And so there's two ways to look at it. I, I would be a total proponent for fighting being allowed at, at all levels because it's just, it makes the players police themselves. So do you think, uh, the fact that there is less fighting now, do you think there's been an increase in what I would consider like a, like a cheap shot? You know, are guys getting butt ended? Are they getting, you know, maybe spirit elbowed, you know, behind the play or whatever. And because they know that guy's not going to come after him. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of that. But now you got the two ref system, so it's hard to get away with a lot of stuff. The game is just a lot cleaner. But there's there's liberties taken in certain situations where there's where that that player knows that they don't really have to pay the piper. Let's go back now. You've moved up through the ranks and you play 2 years in the East, you play 1 year in the AHL or IHL and you get the call up. What was that like? Where was your first where was your first game? What was the team that called you up and what was that like stepping on the big rink for the first time? All right, well, I was I was in Baltimore playing in the American League and cuz I got sent down from camp from Anaheim. So this is like my fourth year pro now. And I got a call from Walt Kyle who was he used to coach at Northern Michigan, but he was the, he, uh, he was coaching me in Baltimore and he called me and he said, you're getting called up. Todd Ewan broke his hand. He needs surgery and looks like you're going to go up and you're going to be up for a while. And he said, I don't want to see you back down here. And so I got off the phone, called my parents and said, I'm going up. And they're like, well, where are you going? And I said, we're flying. I'm flying to Ottawa tomorrow. We play Ottawa. Then we play Montreal and then we're going back home to Anaheim. So I got, um, I was excited. I packed and, and, and left and met the team in Ottawa. I practiced. And I'll never forget it. I was in good shape. I was, uh, was at 90, 95, I guess. So I was 25, 26 years old. Great. The best shape of my life. And the first practice, it was a between day skate, which is the, which in the NHL is like a 35, 40, 45 minute flow practice. And I was winded beyond belief. Like just, I could keep up, but I was dying trying to keep up. It was just, it was incredible because the, the, the pace was so fast. Yeah. Right. And, um, I went there. I remember it was cold. It was cold as hell. I went and, and the coaches said, Hey, you're, you're not playing tomorrow or whatever and get an extra skate, get on the bike. So I went and I went and watched that game. I think we, I think we beat Ottawa. So and usually when you win a game, they usually don't change the lineup too much. And so we went to Montreal and I didn't play, but it was great just to be, just to be in Montreal and, and, and watch the team play. And I, and I think we beat them. So we were on a little bit of a roll and then flying home. Uh, uh, who was it? Ron Wilson was the head coach in Anaheim. He's like, you're playing on Tuesday or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, great. He goes, get ready. You're ready for this. So I let my parents know. And, um, and then Anaheim did a great thing. They, they flew my wife and my, my young child, uh, Madison, who was just a baby. They flew her out so they could watch the game nice. and be there. And so I had a few days of practice and get ready. I was, I was nervous, of course. Uh, my mom was actually in Calgary, so she didn't come. My dad lived in Phoenix. They're, they were, they're together, still are together, just work thing. And so he drove over. And so he was there to watch it. And it was, it was fantastic. Uh, the, the guys treated me well. I, I got, I was on a good line. I played on the third line. I scored. I got a shot my first shift. Um, I, I think I scored. Halfway through the second period, wow. which was great. And oh, first game. He belongs. Actually, <laughs> you know what? I, I actually I scored in the first period. I scored in the first period, and and I got an assist in the second, and then I got a goal in the third. Oh, so I, so third I line goal, is producing. Yeah, two goals, two goals and assists by first game, right? Not too shabby. This yeah. is an easy league, right? Yeah. <laughs> I found out pretty quickly that it, it doesn't happen that. Not all that, nights yeah. are like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who was the sieve that was letting you shoot? I think it was Patrick Waugh. Oh, 
Wow. <laughs> no, it, it was actually, we were playing uh, the Avalanche. It was uh, Craig Billington. Okay. Was, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so well, I lo- <laughs> go ahead, Mo. So let's talk about your your stops. You you played in Anaheim. You played in Pittsburgh, San Jose, and in Florida. Which stop did you enjoy the most? And I noticed a lot of those are some warm weather cities. And here you are now down in Phoenix with Arizona. Yeah. I, well, obviously Anaheim was special because it was the first spot, and I was I was upset when I got traded. Like um, I thought I had found a good home there, but Pittsburgh was looking for a like a third line kind of guy that could play both ends of the ice and kill some penalties. And so it was a good trade for me to go there. Uh, so I, I really liked Pittsburgh. I enjoyed it. I liked the coaching staff there. I ended up having a, you know, a nice house in a great area and the people were fantastic. And so Pittsburgh would probably, you know, Anaheim was great because it was the first spot, but Pittsburgh, I felt like home and I, that was kind of like where I wanted to be. My dad had played with Pittsburgh as well. So I think we were the first father son combo to play for that organization. That's cool. And then, uh, you know, San Jose, I was just there for a little bit and that was, that was, it was just a different experience. So I didn't love that. And then Florida, Florida was good. Uh, weather was great. We had a really good team one year and not, not a great team the other year and I was hurt a lot there. I had surgery on my knee. So it was a lot of, I just think of rehab and not being around the team as much as I would have liked. So Pittsburgh would definitely be the spot that I think I had the best time. Nice. We've talked about, um, you know, two way player scoring opportunities, things like that, but we haven't discussed what position did you play and how did you end up in that position? I always played center college center growing up. I was always center and junior, uh, minors center, um, NHL, you, you got to be pretty damn good to be a centerman. I think I might have played a few games at center, um, which is kind of interesting story. So I get traded from Anaheim to Pittsburgh, and we're playing. We're playing the Flyers. So I fly all the way across uh, the country, get to the hotel, go to bed, don't meet anybody, go to the pregame skate, and they had flown in from the night before. So you're literally just meeting players in a in a locker room. And so I met Lemieux and, and Yager and Ron Francis and all the guys. That's and so, cool. so then Eddie Johnson's the coach, old school, great, great man. And he says to me, just nonchalant, he says, you're going to be centering Ace, which is Lemieux, and Yags tonight. Holy crap. And I, I laughed and I was like, yeah, right. And I didn't believe him. He goes, no, you are. And I was like, what is happening here? So... Like, I'm, it, it didn't make any sense. So back in Anaheim, we on the West Coast, we'd always watch all the games on the East Coast getting ready for our game. Right? So you're in the dressing at 4 or 5 o'clock. You're watching, you know, Pittsburgh play or whatever. So I took the opening face-off with those two guys, okay? And going through my mind was my teammates in Anaheim going, what the hell is he doing out there with those guys? <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, it didn't make any sense. And I, something happened in the first couple of shifts and Lemieux put me in on a breakaway and I hit the crossbar. And I'm thinking, maybe my career would have been different. I would have scored that goal. He would have said, because I was off that line, you know, the next game. And that, that, was, that, was, the, that was the end of that, right? One and yeah. done. One and done, yeah. Dang it. That, that was quite an experience, though. I so, yeah, wow. so I played center. So I played center almost all the time. And then when I wasn't good enough to be center in the NHL, I became left wing. Okay. Looking back uh, at the career, you've played with some spectacular people, wow. such as Lemieux and Yager. <laughs> I mean, right off the top. Who was your favorite teammate? Hmm. Yeah, that's, well, obviously, all those superstars that you played with, you learned so much from them. And, you know, uh, you know, Lemieux was just amazing to watch every day. Uh, I made a lot of good friends, like in the NHL. Back then, it was, it was different because when you got traded or you moved around, you didn't have a phone to text everybody. You just kind of went from one spot and then you're on to a new, new place and that place is, is kind of gone. Um, I really, I really kept in touch with, with Stu Barnes a lot. Um, I played with him in Pittsburgh. He's a great man. Uh, our wives hit it off and they were friends and, uh, he was just, he was just, he was very humble, but a really good player, really good person. So I would think of all the guys that I played with in the NHL, he would probably be the guy that I, I thought was, was my favorite teammate. 
Very cool. Morg. So after your NHL playing career, you played in Germany in the German Ice Hockey League for six seasons after your last NHL game. How do these two leagues compare, and what kept you motivated to play? Well, I loved playing, and, and you know, I, I left the NHL. I had a it was I had surgery on my knee my last year under contract, and I only I only I made it back pretty much to play the last eight games in the playoffs. So I didn't have any statistics, and my career was agent probably said pretty much you know, you should maybe look to Europe, you know, because you're 31 years old, 30, 31 years old, yeah. and they're always trying to go younger, right? Yeah. And um, so when I went over there, the, I thought the league was great. There was We had 13 imports. Um, back then there was, I think, unlimited imports in the German league. We had a good team, so I went over there, and I was like, oh, God, this guy's here, this guy's here. You wonder where all these players went from the NHL. And I think we had like 3,000 NHL games on our roster in wow. Cologne, in, uh, in Cologne my, my second year over there. But I, I thought the league was good. I don't know what it's like now. I haven't seen a game in, in a long time. Uh, it was probably at that point the second best league in the world behind the NHL. Would we beat NHL teams? No, but we'd be able to compete with the lower end ones for sure. Sure. Okay. Looking back uh, at that career, you know, we talked about your favorite teammate, who was the guy that you stepped on the ice with that you looked at and you said, I do not want to be playing against this guy? Well, we had to play in Pittsburgh. We had to play against Philadelphia a lot. And so we got matched up. It was actually Stu Barnes and I and Glenn Murray were the, were the third line in Pittsburgh. And we had to go against the Legion of Doom, um, which was Leclerc, Lindros, and the Swedish guy. You remember him? Uh I'll think of it. No, I'm drawing a blank. I can't can't think of it. Anyway, they were all huge and hard and tough. So Lindros would be the guy back from my era. It was like he was just so fast and so big and so strong and talented. And you had to play hard against him. But he was just, you know, he's 40 pounds, 50 pounds heavier than me at the time. So he would have been the guy that I did not want to play against. <laughs> Understandable. He, yeah. All right, another shout-out to our sponsors, uh, Parker Insurance. Multiple companies, multiple products, multiple savings. See Ryan Parker, who is a hockey coach himself in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for all your insurance needs. And Market & Johnson. Thank you to our friends at Market & Johnson, longtime supporters of the great game of hockey and our youth throughout the Chippewa Valley region. So... Over 500 professional games for you between the NHL and, and over in Germany. What do you remember most about your long professional career? It went fast. <laughs> it went really fast. You know, every year just kind of, you know, the, you, you go to training camp, you, you go through the regular season, and you, you can't wait for the regular season to end because you want to get to the playoffs. And, and then that ends, like, usually quicker than you want it to. And then you have the summer. And... um so it, it went fast. It was a good career. It was, it was, um, the one thing is I, I retired pretty much on my terms. I was hurt a little bit the last year, but I decided before the last year that I was done. My family was getting old and, um, I wanted to give them a, an experience back in North America to go to school and make some friends and all that stuff rather than dragging them through Europe for a couple more years. I probably could have played for a few more years for sure. Uh, cause I was, I was finally getting healthy. Uh, but, you know, just to be able to meet people from all over the world, uh, I really enjoyed my experience in Europe. I tell all of our players at ASU, like, you know, if, if you want to go to the NHL and you, you got to be a realist and, and, and see the writing on the wall at some point and rather than slug it out in the minors over here and go over to Europe if you can and, and en enjoy a different culture and, uh, it's a little bit easier on your body. They play on a big ice surface and you'll enjoy it and have a good time. So hopefully some of them, take me up on that advice did you learn any german i did i i could speak i wouldn't say fluently but i i could speak pretty well for for not studying the language just kind of picking it up sure i did take a class and did did a few things read a few books but i, I could i can't speak it now if i had a few beers and got drunk i probably could speak it pretty good <laughs> how do you uh, say beer in german beer well, there you uh, go <laughs> <laughs> He's got the best one down. I was recruiting in, in the Czech Republic um, four summers ago. And one of the kids that we were recruiting, 
he had lived in his dad. We were out with his dad, and his dad lived in Cologne for three, four years. He was a doctor, so he could speak no English, but he could speak German. I could not speak Czech, so we were at the bar having a good time with this guy, and and I was speaking German with him. And it came back, you know, it came back because you're, you're a little, you know, you have a few beers, you're a little bit, your inhibitions go down a little bit, and sure. and um, you throw an f bomb in between all the stuttering and stammering, and you figured out we figured out how to speak German together, so it was a good time. <laughs> you're nodding your head, if nothing else. <laughs> you know, we did a quick research here. You know, the Legion of Doom, Lindros, Leclerc, and uh, Renberg. Uh, those were three men of stature, yeah. Yeah, uh, there nothing you go. else. There you, you go. You know, I, I forgot to ask one question going back to the beginning of your NHL career. Any hazing that you had to go through as a, as a rookie in the NHL, or, or were you beyond that age by that time? No, there's no there's no hazing. You just have to pay for a rookie meal. So uh, you, you go out, and there's four or five rookies or whatever it was, and you go out and all the guys order expensive wine and steak and, and you split the bill. It wasn't, it wasn't any big deal. Um, so, it, and now I know that sometimes if it gets crazy, usually one of the guys making 10, $12 million a year will help the rookies out. <laughs> so, so that bill must be pretty hefty. Oh, I oh yeah. I could get yeah. into the tens of thousands. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they're thirsty and hungry. Those boys. That's, yeah. a, that's a pretty good hard. steak <laughs> for sure. <laughs> So, Alex, you're entering your eighth year as the assistant coach at Arizona State University. So was coaching something you always had been attracted to? No, I never never wanted to be a coach. I actually – I never really loved coaches, you know, playing, just, you, you know, always trying to tell you something and all that. I was very coachable, but it wasn't like something I really loved. And my kids started playing hockey and, and I wasn't real happy with the way they were getting coached early on. And so I started coaching them and out of necessity. And then I, I, I loved it. I found a passion for it. And as I got them through the ranks, I started to look at opportunities in college and I found that, um, I wasn't even getting calls returned from NCAA schools and I'm like I played in the NCAA I played in the NHL I played a long time and I wouldn't wasn't even getting a, a return call so I didn't know what that was all about and so then I met Greg Powers at the rink and he was coaching the club team for ASU and we hit it off and I finally said to him one day I'm like you know I, I really want to get into coaching more and in he's like well you should come help me so I started helping him a little bit and then the next year he said come and help me full time you know and I'll help you, you know, I'll give you what you need on your resume. And I said, perfect. And he goes, you could help me with some stuff, with some system stuff and your experience. We hit it off. We became best friends. And lo and behold, three months later, we get a donation and we're going to Division One. And he's he got the job and he's like, you're coming with me. Oh, and wow. so we haven't looked back. So I don't know. I don't know if I ever would have got an NCAA job if, if I didn't start coaching with him at ASU on the club team because it seems like most of these programs just hire alumni or yeah. or a retread from another program. <laughs> it's like a, keep, they just keep transferring back and forth. Right? It's it's crazy. So I was very fortunate. It was just and I did it for free. So when I was doing the the club team, okay, it was like it it was it wasn't going to get paid. I think I got a small stipend, but it was a lot of travel and there was a lot of stuff going on, and I was coaching a. Um, uh, U14, uh, yeah, U14 team at the time. So I was like, I had responsibility. So it, it was a lot of time and a lot of effort. But it, I, I, I say, if I would have held out and been like, you know, I can't do this, you know, I need, you know, I, I should be getting paid or whatever, I never would have had this opportunity. Like it just worked out. I knew it was the right thing to do. And, and here we are now, wow. eight years later. Did, did work out. So this year, you're going to be sharing your facility with the Arizona Coyotes of the NHL. So I know to get your facility up to NHL standards, they had to do some things. So what kind of things do they do with your rink, and what do you think that's going to do to help your program? Well, I, I think the, first and foremost, the, 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 ice, the ice standard, they had to put in way better ice than what uh, NCAA would have. So they have to put NHL standard piping in. I don't know you know, the technical terms or all that. But so the ice is, ma is magnificent. It's unbelievable. 
Um, the lighting, I think they had to change a little bit of that. I think they had to do uh, the, the ability for instant replay from all over the place. Uh, that was a huge thing. So they had to upgrade all of that stuff. Uh, but they really had no home like to go to the, the the coyotes. They I don't know what happened with their lease out in Glendale, but they were kind of stuck and didn't have a place to play. And ASU and and you know the the people that make all the big decisions and and the coyotes brokered a deal. So they're going to be with us for three years, from what I understand. And uh, we'll see how it goes. So we play Friday, Saturday, and I think when we're gone, they'll get their Saturday home games. Uh, but I think they're playing a lot of Sundays and Tuesdays kind of thing. So we'll see how it goes. Should be fun. If I'm a, if I'm a young high school hockey player, junior hockey player, and I want to get your attention for a D1 scholarship, what are you looking for in a hockey player to come to ASU? Looking for a good student, number one, because we feel that a student, a good student translates to a good person and usually a good hockey player. So if you're struggling with grades and you don't like school, then, then we're not going to recruit you. That, that's right off the bat. First thing I'll ask kids is, uh, or their parents is send me your transcripts. Yeah. So we got to be a good student. You got to be a good teammate. So we'll do a little, you know, due diligence with the coach and, you know, other people that we know. So you got to be a good teammate and somebody that's positive and, and I like somebody that's that's obviously you got to be good, but somebody is a leader, someone that you can go and you can see right away that is a leader of men or a leader of, of kids and and takes charge. But ultimately, if you look at most of the players at, in the, at the NCAA level, have, have all been one of the top players on their teams growing up. So you have to be pretty good. And ASU, we're, we're building. It's been a long process, building, 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 but we're getting better. Uh, we feel we have a good team this year, and so you ultimately have to be pretty good. I'll tell, I'll tell the parents at seminars, I'll be like, be, be a realist. Like, go look at, if you want your kid to come to ASU, or you want your kid to go to Michigan, or you want your kid to go to North Dakota, go look at their roster, and then find out where that kid played the year before they got to North Dakota, or the year before they got to Arizona State. Then you're going to say, Okay, that kid played for Des Moines in the USHL and led the team in scoring. He is in Michigan. You're, so you can kind of see where your kid needs to be. There's probably not too many guys on Michigan or North Dakota or Arizona, or Arizona State that had six points in the North American League as a 20-year-old. It's right. just yeah. you have to figure out and be a realist that way. So where do you do most of your recruiting? What does that network look like in Arizona? We're everywhere. We're in Alberta. We're in British Columbia. Uh, we've got a kid from Colorado. We've got, I think, six kids from Chicago. We've got five or six from Minnesota. We've got three kids from Boston. We've got uh, two kids from uh, New York. Um, we've got a couple local kids. So we're all over the place. Right. Okay. Are you looking at the USHL? Are you looking at other leagues? Where, where, are, you, where are you recruiting from? Well, we do a lot in the USHL, but most of the kids, honestly, that are in the USHL have already been committed. So a kid that we would have in the USHL, we might have committed them from the Alberta Junior League that we pushed on to the USHL or a kid from Midget or high school. Uh, we do a lot in the Alberta Junior League. I like the Alberta kids. That's where I'm from. I, li- I just like their attitudes. BCHL as well. Looking back at uh, how this team that you're coaching has developed, are you pleased at the tra- trajectory that ASU has taken or are there other things you look back and wish you would have done differently? Well, we're, we like the trajectory. Last year was the first year we feel that we've underachieved. We had a good team last year, and I could get into a big song and dance why we didn't you know, have the year we wanted. But we, we underachieved, and that's on everybody. It's on the players, it's on the staff, it's on everybody. And we're aware of that. Uh, we feel that we've, we've rectified our, our situation. And we, so moving into this year, we feel we've got a, a real good team and a real good chance to be very competitive against anybody. Um, you know, would we do anything different in recruiting, like early on? Probably, you know, and if, if, if I gave reasons and I might, you know, hurt people's feelings, you know, so, but we would have done a few things a little bit differently, knowing, but you have to learn. You have to learn from your mistakes and we we learned we have made a few mistakes early on nothing catastrophic but maybe the process would have been a little bit quicker if we would have done it a little bit differently but we had to learn and we learned we learned the hard way in a few things and now we're we feel we're better for it who's your biggest rivalry hmm 
Well, we've played, we we play everybody around the country. So we're not like in the Big Ten where we play the same six teams all year. Are you right? guys independent right we're, now? We're independent. Okay. So we've played everybody. We've played, we've, we've pretty much played everybody multiple times. Um, I think we have a great rivalry with Penn State. I think we match up well with them. We've played them a bunch of times. We like going there. They like coming. We love their coaching staff. We, we all get along well, and they're always great games. Ohio State, I would say the same. You know, but it's not a rivalry. There, Ohio State's not going. Oh, Arizona State's coming, and we got this huge rivalry, and and we got to get this done. Um, you know, Denver. You know, we that's turning into a good rivalry. We played them four times last year, and, and they were really good. They beat us all four times. We were in a couple games where we could have won, and they kicked the crap out of us in a couple of them. And they're back. We play them again this year. We play them again next year. So that's a good, healthy rivalry. And, again, their staff is great too. Um, so it's it's good. It's good travel for us. It's close. And we like their staff a lot. And so I think that's a good one. Um, I will say – we have a, a, a we've never played North Dakota, but they I can see that being becoming a rivalry just because they're North Dakota and they they've recruited some players that maybe were Sun Devils at some point and oh. now they're North in North Dakota. So we're re- we're ready for them. We're, we want to play them. We're playing them in Vegas this year. Um and we're excited for that. Like we, and we know their staff good, and they're all good guys. And uh, we see them on the road. But you know, we we've had some good players that we've we've lost to them. Which can you blame a kid? You know, saying why don't you come to North Dakota? You know, it's the mecca, right, yep. for yep. for kids to go to. So we, I'm looking forward to playing them. So you open the season tonight with perennial power UMD. Are the boys ready? Well, we're going to find out in a couple hours. <laughs> yes, you are. You know, um, I, I feel they're ready. You know, you, you, you always you always go to bed the night before wondering if you if they're prepared enough. We feel we've done a good job. We we we, we have a great. We, we feel we have a great team. Uh, we got a lot of skill. We got good goaltending. You know, we'll see. Like the, this is a great test for our guys. You know, and Duluth is always you know one of the top you know five at worst ten teams in the country every year. And um, their staff does a great job, and they're going to be prepared. It's, I'm assuming it's going to be a pretty hostile environment, and some of our guys are playing their first college game. So we're aware of all that, but we feel we come out and play our game and, 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 and play hard and, and don't, give them any, don't give them anything, don't you know, turn the puck over. We feel that we could be very competitive. If I'm, uh, well, I am an ASU fan, you know, especially, you know, with the coach sitting in front of you, you got to be an <laughs> ASU fan. Who do I want to watch on the ice? Well, I, I think Matthew Copperhead, he led the country last year in power play goals. Um, he, he's an exciting player to watch. He's a shooter. I think uh, Josh Doan, uh, Shane Doan's son, is, is a hell of a player. He's a sophomore now. He had a really good year for us last year. I think um, he's going to really come into his own. We got these two twins that transferred from Northeastern, Ty and Dylan Jackson. They're from Toronto, elite players. Um, really not not big at all, but skate ama- amazing. Heads up, can pass each other. They play on the same line. They're really good. We got Robert Mastro Simone. We got him as a transfer. He's a second round pick from BU, uh, Detroit Red Wings second round pick. He's amazing to watch. He's been great. He's probably been our best player most explosive player in practice. Um, and then we got a, a couple good D, um, Ty Merchantson on defense. He's a draft pick by the Flyers. He's big, strong, kid from California, 6'2 or 6'3, uh, great edges, sees the puck, uh, sees the ice very well, plays really hard. And we got Timmy Lovell, who's a transfer from Boston College last year. Uh, he's very undersized, tiny little kid, and as electric as you can get. Um, Probably the most skilled player we've ever had. Uh, can skate circles around anybody. He's only 150 pounds. He runs our power play. So he's a, he's a great player. So he, he's exciting to watch. Wow, sounds like you got a nice handful of guys for us to check out. Well, I got to tell you, if he's recruiting sons of former NHL players, you guys are making a name for <laughs> yourself down there. That's, the, that's for sure. <laughs> so I only have one more question. I don't know about you, JC. Do you have anything else? Before? Go for it. So. 
Coach, uh, you know, I see the I see the passion. I, I, I see it in your eyes that you can't wait to get out there tonight with them. Do you have any aspirations of becoming a head hockey coach at any level anytime soon? You know, when I when I when I was thinking about it, when you guys you were going back and forth on some emails, I, I really haven't um, wanted to. I'm really ha- happy with what I do. I, I you know, my boss, you know, Greg Powers is like my best friend, and we get along great, and. Uh, he leaves me in charge of a lot of things. He gives me a lot of freedom to do what I want. Uh, I love being part of this program. I love the university. So with that being said, you know, if something came up, I would, I would look at it, but I don't, I'm not actively looking. And like I said before, like mostly it would have to be college. I don't know if I want to get into the, the pro ranks. Most of these universities will hire an alum. You know, like if Boston University needs this new coach, they usually get an alum with all, you know, North Dakota, right down the list. So um, I'm in a good spot, and I and I love what I'm doing. I, I love developing these kids and trying to get them to the next level. So the answer is probably no. Okay. As an assistant coach, define what your role is right now. So I, I am – you know, in charge of the power play and, and work on that, um, you know, weekly or daily pretty much. Uh, so I'm, I get carte blanche to do what I want with that. And then I just, uh, help run practices and, and put practice plans together. I come up with new drills all the time for, and, and system stuff. If, if we need to tweak a system, you know, or, or tweak a drill because of a system flaw, uh, I'll do that. I, you know, I'm doing that quite a bit and putting things in the software. I break down a lot of film after games and, and, and film of other teams that were playing. So for pre-scouts to break that down and see how we can expose them a little bit. Um, and then just try to mentor these kids and, and give them something, not necessarily about their hockey game, but maybe a little mental, something mental for them to think about. And, um, get them as confident as they can before they go play games. You've obviously got the experience playing at just about every level, you know, um, as, as a collegian and, and as a pro. So those, those kids would be doing the right thing by listening to what you have to say. Yeah, no, they, they, they all, I think they respect me and I have fun with them. Um, they, they keep me young, you know, we're moving in, in into our mid fifties here and um, coming to the rink every day and getting to talk to 20 year olds and bullshit with them a little bit. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I love it. Coach, this has been fun. We have not had a uh, guest who has literally gone from the bottom ranks of pro up to the top level and, and, and to center, you know, Lemieux and Yager. Uh, <laughs> what thank you. One game. It was only one game. Hey, hey, it doesn't hey. matter. You got the one game, buddy. <laughs> a lot of centers out there that never had that opportunity, I'll tell you. But thank you very much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you guys had me. So uh, it's been fun. Talk a little bit uh, about the old time stuff. So anytime. I loved it. Sounds great. All right. We'd like to thank our featured guest, Alex Alex Hicks, again. And a huge thank you to our audience. A special thank you to our sponsors, Market & Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and visit us on our website at thebreakoutsessions.com. And as always, until our next episode, remember, stay on your inside edges.